Let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Julie Andrews once sang as Maria in the Sound of Music. And on Sunday evenings, I would like us to study the very first book of the Bible, and that is the book of Genesis. What do we see when we open our Bibles to the very first page? We see one of the most magnificent sentences imaginable, one that we may have grown so accustomed to that we may have lost sight of how amazing it truly is. There it is in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I wonder whether you have watched a film or ever read a book uh, where the main character doesn't seem to show up until halfway through. I remember uh, going to see uh, King Kong in the cinema many, many years ago and having to wait an hour and a half uh, before you saw your first glimpse of, of the giant gorilla. When you read the Bible, it never feels like that. Uh, God is there from the very beginning. We know full well from the very first sentence that this is God's story. He is the centre of our focus. He is the centre of our attention. And the book of Genesis is the first book of the Bible. It tells us not only about the origin of the universe, but about the origin of the people of Israel, who are the people at the centre of the Bible. It tells us about the perfect world God made and why it is the way it is today. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Tonight, I want our focus to be about these opening verses. God's marvellous creation, as Nathaniel has uh, mentioned. God's marvellous creation. Uh, last year, the University of Birmingham made a survey to see what people thought was the true origin of the universe. Uh, one of the statements that the people in the survey could agree with was this. Humans and other living beings were created by God and have always existed in their current form. And only 12% of the UK sample agreed with that. Uh, the view most commonly supported by uh, nearly half of the UK was humans and other living beings evolved over time as a result of natural selection in which God played no part. So it is clear that the Christian view of how the world exists is at odds with what others believe. And maybe you've experienced that firsthand. You've had conversation with, uh, with colleagues or school friends or family members even. And they've looked at you with a, a sense of bewilderment at the fact that you believe in a God that created the world. How can you possibly believe that? Are you serious? We are living in 2020, was it four now, isn't it? <laughs> a God who made everything. That's a fairy tale, surely. Now we don't have time this evening and I don't have the credentials to make the case from a scientific point of view. That is why we're thankful for Christian astrophysicists and geologists and geneticists and paleontologists and biochemists 
who argue the case with skill and authority. And I encourage you to to read and listen to what they have to say. But as we look at this account in Genesis 1 this evening, I won't be making a defense of, of the creation narrative from a scientific or a philosophical point of view. As I've said, there's a time and a place for that. But there are those who are far better equipped than I am to do that. What I want us to do tonight is to look at what Genesis 1 tells us about who God is. And my hope is that we will be encouraged, we will be renewed in our wonder, and we'll be thankful. I really want us to note what is unique about the only true account of how the world began. Because whether they know it or not, everyone who has ever lived has some sort of theory as to how the world came into being. In the uh, biblical account of creation, which we've just had read to us, which Moses wrote through the inspiration of the Spirit, we see a, a challenge to the rival accounts made by surrounding countries that may have caught the attention of the people of Israel. So uh, the people of Mesopotamia and the Babylonians and the Canaanites and the Egyptians. Moses is trying to make sure that the people of Israel see how this true account is different from the myths and the legends that they may have heard about from the neighboring countries. And so I guess uh, the same is still applicable today. We need to consider how does this account differ from the popular teachings of today? And more importantly, what does it tell us about our creator God? And the first thing uh, that I want you to notice is that there is order, not chaos. Order, not chaos. Um, The first thing I want to to point out is how every other creation narrative uh, stems from chaos, from a lack of order, whether that be in the ancient Near East where uh, Israel was at the time uh, or in the universities today and in your classrooms if you're at school, uh, the TV you watch, the books you read and the average person on the street will tell you that the universe is a happy accident a byproduct of atoms and protons colliding together. And we just happen to be here. It's a a wonderful, beautiful coincidence. Uh, You might have heard people say, oh, it's it's wonderful how we are are made of stardust and it's a wonderful accident that we're all here. And you may have heard this Richard Dawkins quote that seems to crop up in sermons from time to time. Uh, It's so useful in pinpointing what the natural conclusion is to the atheist evolutionary way of thinking. This is what he says. In a universe of electrons and selfish genes, blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. You see, in the worldview without a God, in this atheist worldview, chaos reigns. Everything is a result of chance. It just happened randomly. 
but not in reality, not with the God of the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 14, we read, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. You see, God rules with care and with authority. Everything has a time and a place. Everything has a reason. And notice, it's one God we're talking about. In uh, the Babylonian creation account, you read of the birth of the gods and there's a battle between two rival gods and the creation of man and both the gods and the world came from the same womb and a god is killed and thrown down from heaven and his dead body becomes the earth. But here we see that the way in which God works is not through fighting another god. It's not through destruction that life comes about. God is is separate from his creation. He is not a part of it. He is completely self-sufficient. Think about the Egyptians. You may have studied the Egyptians at school. And you know that they worshipped hundreds and thousands of different gods, didn't they? And uh, each of these gods had a special job. Uh, They were were supposed to... um, be assigned to some specific aspect you had a god of the sun and a god of the moon and a god of grain and a god of the river but the biblical account shows us that the sun and the moon are just created things created by the one true god the triune god the god of the trinity uh, that the bible describes creates with control and with power and with authority And there is uh, everything from the specific placement of the galaxies and planets and the stars to the passages of time of day and night and the changing seasons. Do you know how precise and how unique our universe is? It is perfect for us to be able to live and to breathe and to thrive. But just a slight change in our distance from the sun or our gravitational pull Uh, that could all change. Is that the product of chance? Or is there a perfect, sovereign God who made it so? One Christian physicist makes this point, and that's why I said I don't have the credentials to do this, but I have the credentials to quote someone else who, who has worked out these numbers, and this is what he says. Imagine stretching a measuring tape across the entire known universe. So... Strange image, isn't it? Now imagine one particular mark on this measuring tape representing the correct degree of gravitational force required to create the universe that we have. If this mark were moved more than an inch from where it is, remember on a measuring tape spanning the entire universe, the altered gravitational force would prevent our universe from coming into existence. That is the tiny window that this universe operates in. It surely cannot be the product of chaos and chance, but that of a creator God who has made things perfectly right for us to be able to to live in. So that's the first thing, order, not chaos. Secondly, good, not evil. What is the phrase that you heard time and time again when Nathaniel read this passage to us? Look at verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And it's important for us to 
to notice that the first thing that God creates is light. Uh, Throughout the Bible, uh, God is associated with light and evil is associated with darkness. So even in this first action of creation, God is showing his nature and his will. And we go on through this narrative. We look at verse 10. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Verse 12. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 18, and it was good. Verse 21, and it was good. Verse 25, it is good. You see, God made a good world. Now, there was still the possibility of evil. God didn't create a world without the possibility of evil, but there is an inherent goodness in all that he makes. It's important for us to observe that the Bible is the only worldview which explains why the world is the way it is. And we'll see in a couple of weeks time, God willing, why our world feels so different to that world that we have just read about. Of peace and of order and of of goodness. So that's the, the second thing. Thirdly, before I make some points of application for us. There is variety, not uniformity. It's wonderful how creative God is, isn't it? God could have just as easily have made a world which was unimaginative. It could have been uh, without colour. It could have been rigid and uniform. But God not only created a functional world, but one where beauty and variety are clear to see. He chose to give us something which allows us to enjoy him and to explore, and to be able to enjoy the things around us. This is a world we can marvel at. But they're mere signposts, aren't they, to something bigger, to something greater. Maybe you've never stopped to think about how marvellous and how wacky and wonderful this world is. We have light, which helps us to see. We have waters, rivers, lakes, lagoons vast oceans. We have land, we've got canyons and volcanoes and mountain peaks and deep valleys. We've got plants and vegetation, cacti and orchids and lotus flowers and daisies and dahlias and roses and crocuses and tulips and lavenders. Uh, Think of the trees that we have, sycamore and, and redwoods and palm trees and willows and cherry blossoms. And those that bear fruit, apples and oranges and lemons and pomegranates and coconuts. Each looking different, each smelling different, each different to touch. Planets in the sky, comets and complex constellations. Think of the creatures that God makes, the fish of the sea. Sharks and jellyfish and pufferfish and octopuses and seahorses. Fish of every colour. Birds of the air, the eagle that soars, the macaw with its marvellous colours, the hummingbird so small and so fast, and the the nightingales with its beautiful song, the animals on land, each with a different appearance and each with different mannerisms, panthers and platypuses and polar bears and porcupines and pangolins, and that's just the ones starting with P. 
What a creative creator God that we have. So what can we learn from Genesis 1? What are some practical applications for us this evening? Well, first of all, uh, we, we worship a powerful God. Notice how God creates. It's not through some great struggle or some wrestling match with another God. It is not through thousands and millions and billions of years of progress. No, it's, it's with a word. The repeated uh, sentence we see <clears throat> again and again throughout this section is, And God said... The power is from God's word. We can do uh, some powerful things with our voices, can't we? Um, about 20 years ago, um, uh, a man called Jamie Vendera became the first person recorded to be able to break glass without the aid of ampli- amplification uh, with, with his singing voice. Uh, he's a, a vocal coach and he was able to reach 105 decibels uh, with his wail. Uh, which is almost as loud as a, as a pneumatic drill, I think. Uh, not many of us can, can uh, muster the lung power for that kind of noise. Um, we may not have powerful singing voices, but we have all used or felt the, the power of words, haven't we? Our words can do all manner of things. We can use our words to greet others, to, to joke, to tell stories, uh, to console someone, to dismiss someone. To help, to humiliate, to comfort, to inspire, to to humble, to encourage, to explain, uh, to question and to teach. But none of us, despite all the power that our words can do, has this extraordinary power that the Almighty God has. To speak things into existence. We sometimes use the Latin phrase, uh, ex nihilo, out of nothing. It's God's great display of power. And the word used in uh, our English Bible is, as create here in Genesis 1 is very special. Uh, in, the, in the Hebrew, it's, it's a word unique to God. You know, humans are, are said to be able to, to make things and to form things and to build things. However, God is the only one who can create We can only do things with the materials that God has given us. But God can create. And with that sort of power, we can walk into this next week with with confidence in whatever situation that we might face. God is on your side and he is able to do immeasurably more than you can possibly ask or imagine. He can create with a word. He is the one who sent his word into the world in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will help us and lead us through whatever trial we are facing. And creation is also a a great display of God's self-sufficiency. None of you came from nothing. You have a history and a family and a family tree. And there was a time where you didn't exist Uh, Griff is really struggling with this concept at the moment. Uh, He thinks uh, every photo he's not in, even if it's 10, 15 years ago, he's like, I think I was in your tummy then. Um, He struggles to to contain that that concept that there was a time before him. But the 
the triune God existed in a perfect community before the world began. The Father, the Son and the Spirit in perfect harmony. Uh, They are all at work in the act of creation. The Father oversees creation. But he's not alone in this act. Look at verse 2. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That verse has always puzzled me. It's always uh, got me asking more questions than it has given me answers. I've, I've I found a really helpful observation uh, in the past few weeks to do with this uh, verse. Uh, an American theologian called Kyle Claunch Uh, makes this really helpful observation. He says the only other place where we have this, uh, these, these kind of, these ideas of, of hovering over the face of something is in Deuteronomy 32, where Moses says that the Lord's presence with Israel in the wilderness was like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters or hovers over its young. And Moses, of course, is the same person that wrote Deuteronomy in Genesis. And it's the same word that's used in Genesis 1 and verse 2. That the Spirit of God was hovering over the darkness and the waters. So uh, we can imagine uh, a bird hovering over a nest where new life is being brought forth. And by the work of the same Spirit, God is going to tame the darkness and the waters of this chaotic earth. And bring forth life of many kinds. I think that's wonderful, isn't it? That the Spirit's presence allows creation to thrive and to grow. And what about the Son? We've seen the Father and the the Spirit involved. Well, we're told, aren't we, in the opening verses of John's Gospel, what the Son was doing in creation. In the beginning was the Word. That's how uh, the, the beginning of John's Gospel refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So even in this account, we have a rich picture of who God is. He is a a triune God, with each member of the Trinity playing a distinct role. The Father is at work through the Son and the Spirit is perfecting the work. And the fact that God was there from before the beginning shows that he is eternal. We have a start point. Uh, The human race has a starting point. The universe has a start point. But God never was. He just is and always will be. Doesn't that give you great comfort? That someone has always been there. That they were, there was never a, a day one for them. Like this day one for me today. And it's been nerve-wracking at times. But God's never had that. He's always been. He's always been there. There was never day one with God. I notice the things that God creates. They're impressive in scale, aren't they? Look at verse 10. God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together. He called seas. And God saw that it was good. Uh, Throughout history, if you study history, you see that uh, in most societies that have ever been, they have worshipped the sea as God. 
Think of Dagon, the fish god that the Syrians used to worship in the Old Testament and the Israelites uh, began to worship. Or how the ancient Greeks used to worship Poseidon. There are many more. But the Bible puts us right. It says the sea is no god. Yes, it is powerful. Yes, the power of a wave is, is terrifying. And the vastness and the expanse of the ocean is impressive. But the sea is merely something that God has made. And the same goes for the things that God has put in the sea. Look at verse 21. God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. But once again, these things have been worshipped throughout history, but they're not deities of themselves. They are created. There's an order in place. I'm not sure how good you are with with DIY. Uh, I'm not very good. Um, But maybe you've assembled furniture before or you've installed something tricky in your home. And you admire your handiwork and you you tell someone, yeah, yeah, I did that. It will never come close to the the casual nature that we see in verse 16. He made the stars. God made the stars, those magnificent burning lights in the galaxies above. God put them in place with the same ease, with more ease than you would put a light bulb in place. Isn't that amazing? But I want us to notice why he does this. Those wonderful things are there in order to show us who God is. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. That's what we just sung, isn't it? Creation sings the Father's song. The creation that we can see and experience every day is a wonderful gallery. So don't forget who the master artist is behind it. Creation also shows us that we worship a a caring God. Everything is done with precision and with a process in place. The evolutionary mindset doesn't allow for that. There is only room for chaos. And we'll see later on as we study these opening chapters that God gives humanity a clear role to play in creation. Something else that evolution doesn't allow for. We don't believe do we, in the survival of the fittest? No, we believe in God's beautifully created order and that God gave the human people, the human race, a special responsibility to govern on his behalf. And also reminds us that we worship a sovereign God. It shows us his control and his, his sovereignty over all. I hate being in a, in a shop when someone is unhappy with something and they demand to see the manager. It just fills me with, with uh, awkwardness and, and rage. Uh, there's not enough ice in their drink or, or their product has fallen apart because they, they hit it with a hammer or something. Um, whatever it might be, there's always something to blame something on someone else. And they want to see the most senior person there and the person 
uh, comes out and they don't really know what they're doing and more often than not the manager calls someone else and there's always someone above that they pass it on to and the buck gets passed doesn't it but you know as Christians today we have access to the manager of managers and we live in a broken world and that's not because of God and we'll see why that happens in a couple of weeks' time. But the world that God made was, was beautiful and is God, but he doesn't hide away in an office where he cannot be accessed. He came into the world as a man so that he could be with his people, so that he could uh, make a way for us as people to be, uh, to, for our relationship to be restored. And it also reminds us that we worship a creative God. I don't know if you see yourself as particularly creative, but God being a God who creates has given us a license to create. We are made in his image, so we are made to create. Whatever gifts that we have been given, we can use those for his glory. So that whether that is writing or music or drawing or art or building things or, or coding on a computer, we can do all of these things for God's glory. There are wonderful applications for this foundational chapter of our Bibles. And our response ought to be to worship. It shows us that he is worthy of all our praise. What a wonderful, beautiful world that we can't see at the moment, but we, we live in, don't we? But we don't want to worship the world. We miss the point if we fail to see our great creator. If we... Uh, celebrate the world and and fail to see God that is essentially what pantheism is this dangerous yet popular religion that everything is God and God is in everything the grass the plants the moon the stars the sun the rivers the sea you and me we're all God and God is in us it's a incoherent mess of a worldview that is not why we come and and behold God's creation There's a sober warning when we read Romans 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of their mortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised so what ought we to do there's that that warning of what we mustn't mustn't do let's follow the example of the psalmist by the word of the lord psalm 33 says the heavens were made and by the breath of his mouth all their host he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap he puts the deep in the storehouses let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded 
and has stood firm. So let's praise the name of God for all he has done, his great power, his great creativity, his care. Genesis 1 gives us the behind the scenes to one of the most remarkable stories ever told. And our call this evening is not to get caught up in marvelling at the wonders of the world that we might miss the one who made them. So let us worship him this evening with a renewed sense of wonder.